2: Welcome to the wired to hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host,
0: Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the wired to hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon. This is episode number 296, and today on the show, we're kicking off another year of our Rut Radio mini-series, in which we chat with hunters from all across the country each week to get the latest intel on current deer activity and the tactics that are working right now now all right welcome to the wired hunt podcast brought to you by onyx and this is our first episode of 2019 of our rut radio series but we're actually calling it something slightly different this year we're calling it rut fresh radio But it is the exact same thing as what you've heard over the last three seasons. We're calling this Rut Fresh Radio. I will give you a very quick behind-the-scenes explanation here because our buddy Spencer Newharth, well, you, Spencer, you started something called Rut Fresh, I think, last year, right, a blog in which you were sharing written rut reports that kind of went along with the same kinds of things we were talking about on Rut Radio. And when you joined the mediator team, which happened when, last year or earlier this year?
3: October
0: 1, 2018. Okay. So when you joined, we decided, hey, we should keep Rut Fresh reports going, but we're, of course, going to keep Rut Radio going. And it could get kind of confusing if we had the two same things, but with slightly different names. So we decided to combine the names. So there's going to be the same Rut Radio mini series that we do here in the podcast. We're just going to call it Rut Fresh Radio. And then you're going to have fresh written reports on the Mediator website too, right? That's
3: right. Those are going to start in October.
0: Okay, sweet. So for those that aren't familiar with what we do here on this series, this is going to be a series that we are running in addition to the regular Wired Hunt podcast each week. And it's going to run from this week all the way to the end of the 2019 hunting season. Give me the cliff notes on what folks can expect, Spencer.
3: This is the fourth season. ...of doing this mini-podcast. These episodes are going to come out every single Wednesday. And every week, I'm going to talk to some highly respected whitetail hunters from across the country... ...and get the latest reports from what they're seeing, what the buck activity's been like... uh, ...if the moon phase has changed anything, if the weather patterns have messed stuff up... uh, ...what those food sources look like in their area, if the bachelor groups are still together... ...if calling works right now, if sign-making has started... All of that stuff.
0: And so we get a breakdown of what they've been seeing in the past few days and then also prediction on what they expect to come in the coming days, right?
3: That's right. And the idea of this podcast is to give you the freshest intel possible. Going to give you guys a peek behind the curtain here, but we are recording this on a Tuesday, and this episode will drop Wednesday morning. So the reports that you're hearing are less than 24 hours old. And hopefully if you are somebody who is a weekend warrior hunter, this will give you some ideas of what to do in the upcoming weekend. You're going to hear some you know, great reports on here from hopefully somebody in your neck of the woods and maybe they'll say something that you pick up on um, and it you know helps you make an informed decision for an upcoming hunt. That happens to me almost every week prior to a hunt. Uh, I- I'm using this intel hopefully just like you guys are and it's, Really helped me in a lot of cases in the past.
0: Yeah, and I'll say another thing that we've both kind of spoken to over the last couple of years we've started seeing not only there's is there value in these the very recent Intel part of it, but then also what I've started to do is I will go back and listen to the prior year or previous couple of years during the same date range and then you can start to pick up on certain trends. So for example, this is the first week of September we're going to hear from people that are hunting you know right now. But if we went and listened to last year's episode from the first week of September, we might find certain things they talk about that might relate to this year as well. Maybe last year's episode, someone said, hey, we got a cold front that hit on September 5th. It got deer moving like crazy. And if you happen to be hunting this week on September 5th or 8th or whatever, and you have a cold front coming, you can say, hey, that worked for Tony back then. I bet you that might help me this year. So... Listen to this week's episode, but if you've got extra time, you might want to go back and listen to one of the three previous seasons during the same date range, and you can find other things that could help you too, right? Haven't you seen that as well, Spencer?
3: Yeah, definitely. And, and I can already see one way that 2019 is going to be quite different um, is how the summer weather is now affecting these really early season haunts. For example, most of the country had a very wet Spring and summer. I know specifically in the Great Plains it was that way, but then I also learned through this week's interviews that some of these other places dealt with the same thing, and it really changed some early season tactics. Tony Peterson is a guy that uh, if you've listened to Wired to Hunt before or read anything he's written or uh, you know checked out his podcast, you'll know that early season he loves to focus on watering holes. It's a great place to pattern a buck. And it's a great place to avoid people because everyone else kind of likes those safe field edge setups. And this year, Tony was hunting in Nebraska, who we will hear from later. Um, and he said there was so much water available and everything was so wet that that plan just went out the window. And he had to you know, change up what he was doing because those water hole setups were not going to work. And it was the same thing from the guys we talked to in Tennessee, South Carolina, and, and North Dakota.
0: Yeah, so who else are we hearing from?
3: Uh, We start off in Tennessee with Jacob Myers from the Southern Outdoorsman. Then in Nebraska, we talked to Tony Peterson from the Hunt for Real podcast. In South Carolina, from Cut 4 Outdoors is Cameron Busby. And then in North Dakota, Dylan Lenz from the Breaking Point TV. There was a ton of success from this year's group of guys on the first episode. Uh, Jacob Myers in Tennessee, they killed two bucks. Uh, Tony Tony Peterson from Nebraska... He's already on his way home back to uh, Minnesota because him and his buddy both tagged out. And then Dylan Lenz in North Dakota from the breaking point, uh, they killed one on opener as well.
0: Nice. Awesome. Well, uh, I am. Our chronological order is going to be a little bit wonky here because I am in North Dakota on my own North Dakota hunt. But the regular Wired Hunt podcast that comes out tomorrow was recorded before that hunt. So I don't want to give too much away yet. Um, the very light report is that. Uh, I saw a decent amount of activity just prior to opening day and on opening day. There was a pretty decent amount of movement, but it slowed down significantly after that, possibly hunting pressure related or possibly because it got super hot. Um, That is my very light activity report from North Dakota. Can I, can I just leave it at that?
3: Well, let me know one thing. Are you dealing with the same thing as everyone else, that everything is wet and there's plenty of water, that that is not a focal point of your early
0: season sits? Definitely not a focal point of my sits here. Um, not so much because, like, I was going to on water holes anyways, but there's, there's, there's a river right through this area that's providing water everywhere. Um, so that just wasn't going to be a factor from the get-go. Um, but I can say that definitely stuff is lush. I will say there's, there's food everywhere, seemingly a lot of green vegetation, and that has led to deer activity being very spread out. It doesn't seem like there's one food source that they're keying in on. Um, th- there's so much natural browse that the activity has just been kind of willy-nilly, um, and maybe that had to do with it being such a such a relatively wet summer out here compared to other years.
3: All right, Mark. Well, I think we get to these first callers. Um and, and one more thing, I don't think that we – spoke to was that these podcast episodes are always going to be short. So these episodes are going to be around 30 minutes, super digestible. Hopefully you can kill it on your way to work in the morning, and then that puts you in a, a whitetail hunting mood.
0: Yes, and I will I will add, though, as I sometimes do, I will drag these things longer because I'm a rambler. <laughs> so i got to give one more update, Spencer. Um, sort of in tandem with these podcast episodes, we also released a new video series over on The Meat Eater that describes how to kill a buck during different portions of the hunting season. And it was you, myself, and Tony Peterson. We got together and we broke down each month into a first half and a second half and then discussed what our ideas would be, what our mindset, what our tactics would be during each one of those segments of the year. So, for example, the the video that's already come out, How to Kill a Buck in Early September, We went and we each shared a couple of the high level ideas we'd be thinking about in early September when hunting. And then we picked an example property and we dissect that property. We look at an aerial view of the property, all three of us, and walk through where we would consider hunting, how we would consider hunting it. Each one of us kind of sharing our own perspectives. And then one of us actually had hunted that property. And then that'd be the last person to go. And then we'd say, hey, you were right about this. Or I saw this was very similar to what you guys were guessing. Um, I think those turned out pretty interesting and very helpful. So the first one's available on the Meat Eater YouTube channel right now. We will have new episodes coming every other week, right?
3: That's right. And we are breaking down a variety of different properties in these videos, uh, public and private, from Pennsylvania to Oklahoma to Wisconsin to Kentucky to Ohio. Uh, and and everything in between so hopefully if episode one talking early september and a property in kentucky doesn't apply to you that one of these next ones will
0: yeah we 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 can't cover every single region every single time but you can definitely still pull pieces and parts that can apply to your own specific situation so with that said spencer uh should i shut it down let you take it for the interviews yeah good luck in north dakota and i hope
3: you're sending me a bbd text
0: Thanks, man. Hope so, too. But
3: before we move on, I want to tell you guys about the biggest sale of the year going on over at First Light for today only. Almost everything on the site is 10 to 30% off, including the Catalyst jacket, which will get you through the entire fall with a bit of layering, the Solitude system, which is perfect for the late-season Midwestern bowhunter, and the Merino Killen hoodie, which is the most versatile base layer that I own. To take advantage of First Light's opener sale, head over to FirstLight.com. No promo code or coupons necessary, but you must order today.
2: Don't miss out on these deals. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com meat
3: eater. All right, and joining us on the line first is Jacob Myers from the Southern Outdoorsman podcast in Tennessee. Jacob, in Tennessee, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10?
4: I'd say since the velvet buck hunt on the 23rd, it's been probably close to seven or eight right now. So the deer have be- definitely been feeding quite a bit in the afternoon. Uh, you know, they're still, you know, kind of grouped up. So you'll be able to go out anywhere you have ag, especially any kind of beans right now. Uh, you just being able to see deer quite easily, especially if you have a vantage point where you can glass from. You're seeing deer moving throughout the day. I know on that velvet hunt on the 24th, uh, when we were able to kill our deer, Uh, We were seeing deer moving as early as 4 o'clock in the afternoon bucks.
3: Jacob, in most of the country in early, early openers, like September 1st, but you guys are hunting like 7, 8, 9 days. How uh, does that Tennessee early velvet season change from how you'd maybe be hunting right now?
4: Yeah, actually, I have not had previous experience hunting that early. Uh, So Tennessee puts on a, what they classify or they market it as a velvet buck hunt for the whole state. It's open to private land for the whole state. Uh, And this year it was August 23rd through the 25th. Uh, But last year they found CWD in the western part of the state and actually made a CWD zone. And for that hunt this year, in that CWD zone, it was open on 13 pieces of public land track in that part of the state, in that zone. Uh, So we were able to hunt one of those parcels of public. Also, they opened it for muzzleloader, uh, which made it a really fun time to go hunt. Uh, It really did change our thoughts on hunting uh, because we're going from, you know, trying to focus on, you know, what we would think is later season food sources down there, kind of getting away from the ag, trying to find persimmons and different oaks uh, to focusing strictly on ag, especially soybeans. And it paid off very quickly. We were able to shoot two deer within 24 hours of the hunt. And uh, unfortunately, wasn't able to locate my deer just because I made a non-lethal shot on that deer. Uh, but it's it's been fantastic. It's just very different when you don't have experience hunting that early in the season.
3: Did you guys focus on water at all, hunting that early, when I assumed the weather was really hot? Well, actually, we did
4: not. Uh, so, this whole summer, we've had a pretty good amount of rain in Tennessee, really the whole southeast, uh, but over the last month or so, it's dried up just a little bit, but where we were hunting, you know, you were still finding, you know, water pockets, you know, whether it was, you know, some puddles, a little bit of running water, whatever it was. So, you know, water wasn't a major source of uh, you know finding and locating deer on that hunt, or really any time recently.
3: Late this summer, some parts of Kentucky and Tennessee have been experiencing EHD. Is that something that you've dealt with in, in your part of Tennessee?
4: Not necessarily in my part, but yes, there has been a few outbreaks. Uh, one county in uh, in general has had quite a few of outbreaks, uh, which is Hickman County, which is kind of. Middle Tennessee, Midwestern Tennessee, um, and they've had quite a few outbreaks. There's been a lot of landowners posting about finding quite a few deer dead, which is unfortunate, but it doesn't seem like it's widespread by no means.
3: With that velvet season that Tennessee has and you can use a muzzleloader, uh, that obviously allows you to reach out and touch these deer at a greater distance. So how do your setups look hunting with a muzzleloader that early versus if you were bow hunting?
4: Funny you said that. So again, in that CWD zone, we could use muzzleloaders. Uh, The other part of the state they could not. And really, it kind of did open up our minds of how we could hunt them because in in deer and velvet and ag, um, they're, in my experience, they're very easy to stalk up on. And that's actually what we did for the second deer. The first deer, my buddy was able to shoot it out of his saddle um, and, you know, just be able to get a 40 yard shot on his deer. My deer, actually, we had to stalk out into the beans to get a shot at at 60 yards, uh, which really, you know, when the beans are so tall, you know, you're looking almost, uh, you know, you know, waist high taller beans, you know, you got to get in pretty close to get a good shot at them. So that definitely did, you know, change our way of hunting, uh, but definitely made it for, you know, quite a fun hunt. And I wish, uh, you know, more people actually took part in that.
3: So Tennessee's regular deer opener is still about 25 days away late September. So how will your tactics change when that early, when that opener comes versus what you were just hunting?
4: Yeah. So when that season opens, again, I hunt pretty much strictly public land, especially in Tennessee. Uh, one thing I love to hit on early season up there is persimmons. Uh, definitely, you know, anywhere in mid to western uh, Tennessee, there's a ton of persimmons, uh, which is a great food source early season, especially if you find a few trees that are dropping or after a heavy storm has come through and knocked a bunch to the ground, you'll absolutely find a bunch of deer. And that's definitely, in that first, you know, four or five days of the season is something I like to focus on, unless you can find a good bean field that uh, either was late planted that hasn't turned yellow yet. Uh, you know, that can be another good food source. But the problem is when you hunt public, anytime you're around beans on public, you're going to have other guys there. So normally it's not, uh, not normally um, very efficient in my opinion.
3: In that part of the country going forward in the next week or so, what do you think that bucket activity is going to be on a scale of one to 10?
4: I expect once they come out of velvet, which right now they're probably 75% of the deer are still in velvet. Uh, I've seen a few deer coming out and I've got some buddies that run trail cameras that are seeing deer start to come out of velvet. But, uh, you know, as they come out of velvet and they start kind of splitting up a little bit, I can uh, normally see them start kind of even off those fields so much uh, and really kind of start covering a little bit more ground and kind of getting into their fall ranges. Uh, So when that happens, you know, a lot of guys will start freaking out because their deer, you know, the pattern has changed. They're coming to their, you know, the camera a couple hours later or earlier than normal Uh, which gets guys kind of worried, but you just got to stay focused and try to find that bedding area where they're located at and try moving closer to them.
3: All right, Jacob. Well, congrats on those bucks. I'm jealous that you guys get to start hunting so early and thanks for joining me.
4: I appreciate it, Spencer. Thank you.
3: All right. And joining us on the line next is Tony Peterson in Nebraska from the hunt for real podcast. Now, Tony, on a scale of one to 10, what would you say the buck activity has been lately?
1: Oh man, I would say probably pushing up on an eight.
3: You were currently on the road from Nebraska to Minnesota, and you're headed home early for good reason. Is
1: that right? We are, man. Um, we uh, we got down there a couple days before the season opened on the first to, to glass and scout some public land. And uh, my buddy and I, I killed one opening night. My buddy killed one the next day, and now we're we're on our way home.
3: Tony, you're one of the best public land bow hunters. I know I've said this multiple times over, and this just proved it again so tell me a little bit about those setups because I'm really interested in how you killed big velvet bucks and back-to-back nights
1: sure we uh, you know we, we planned on hunting water because it was you know it was gonna be hot it was it was 80 degrees when I killed my buck at 90 when he killed his my buddy killed his but there was water everywhere down there there's been so much rain so as soon as we got down there and we saw the water situation we switched to try to find some food. And we found some areas that had a ton of browse, but there was no concentrated deer activity. And then we found one good soybean field on public land that was a little bit of a hike to get into. And that was the ticket. As soon as I started glassing it, I knew we were probably going to live and die by that field.
3: Now, how obvious of a soybean field was it? Were you competing with other hunters in that area? Because it seems like a place that most public land guys would focus on.
1: Um, y- you would think so. The the good thing about the soybean field we found was I knew about it I knew there was a field there from turkey hunting this public land this spring, but you could barely see it from any road, and it wasn't it wasn't as obvious as it sounds maybe and you know we got in there early, and did did some scouting in there we did have two guys from Michigan pull up uh, the night before the season opened but they were they were really nice guys and they said oh if you guys are in there hunting we'll we'll just wait we're going to be down here for a while and so those guys. Uh, they just backed off of it because it wasn't a very big spot, and they, that, that was cool that they did that because they let us have it, and we we ended up doing really well in there.
3: Now, you said ordinarily you'd be focused on water. Uh, what kind of water hunts do you like, like little stock dams or wallows or creeks or river crossing? What do those look like?
1: Um, you know, in this in this part of Nebraska where we were at, it would have been, you know, cattle tanks and little ponds. Um, out in the pastures you know anything anything around some cover anything where you know the white tails like good cover and if we could find something tucked away so I had a you know, my maps were just loaded with waypoints of water but there was there was water absolutely everywhere it just was totally it was just a, a worthless pattern for us it wasn't gonna happen
3: were you seeing bachelor groups still together or were these bucks traveling solo
1: um they were they were bachelored up still um you know we saw probably i'd say 30 or 40% of the bucks we saw were hard antlered already the rest were were still in velvet and they were they were pretty grouped up but they were they were so concentrated in one part of that bean field that you know it might have been kind of an illusion they may have just been feeding close by each other but we definitely did see some bucks that were still together
3: you just mentioned that they were focused on one corner of the bean field, what was it about that area that got you to set up there and got you to kill these two bucks?
1: Um, they, they, the corner of the bean field they were using most heavily heavily uh, butted up to the best patch of timber there, and it, which really isn't much the pastured woods, but it's the best cover, and it's the least visible spot on the field. It kind of spills down a little way so the elevation drops away, and it was just one of those places where if you were glassing from the other side of the field, you'd sometimes see them pop out and go down in there. So you knew there was something going on uh, better there in the one place that you couldn't really see, and I think think that's why they picked it.
3: How early in the evening were these bucks showing up?
1: Um, Some of them were living in it. The buck that I killed was bedded in there when I hung my stand opening night. I watched him get up and feed 50 yards away after I got my stand hung. And then I watched another buck that I'd seen the previous night get up uh, from inside the field. So they were, you could see when you got above these real lush tall soybeans, you could see all these little bomb crater looking holes in the soybeans. And I think it was just those bucks were spending so much time in there uh, just bedding, stand up feed the buck that I killed actually ended up bedding in front of me at 37 yards for an hour, and I could see him feeding while he was laying down.
3: Going forward in the next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale
1: of 1 to 10
3: in Nebraska?
1: Ooh, I would say with the, the coming forecast, I would say it's going to stay around a 7 or 8 probably. I don't think it's going to change too drastically with all those deer going hard antlered yet.
3: All right, Tony, well, congrats again. Thanks for joining me. I always look forward to hearing these public land adventures that you're on and way to go on the awesome deer. Awesome. Thanks buddy. All right. And joining us on the line next from South Carolina is Cameron Busby from cut four outdoors. Now, Cameron in South Carolina, what would you say the buck activity has been in the last week or so on a scale of one to 10?
5: Uh, I'd say about a six, the deer kind of getting in a little transition period between, uh, they're, they're coming out of their summer velvet and they're starting to get hard going. They usually should, they're velvet right right here around Labor Day weekend, so we're kind of in that transition period, and we're trying to target in on bucks for the summer pattern to the fall pattern, so we're kind of in one of those little transitions right now.
3: So what would you say the ratio is in South Carolina of bucks that are still holding velvet to ones that are hard-horned?
5: I'd say it's about 75% hard-horned, 25% velvet. The bigger bucks right now, are they're, they're hard-horned. They're usually the first ones to uh, get rid of it.
3: And so with these early season sits, when you're trying to catch these bucks going from those summer patterns to fall patterns, what are you focused on?
5: Well, deer season for second one started August 15th. So August 15th, they still have their velvet on. They're pretty pretty consistent. So you can get on the food source early, um, your field, ag fields. We had, we've had we had some succession big uh, fresh cutovers. Um, a lot of regrowth out there, especially in the mornings, those big cutovers seem to play. Those big cutovers off the agg fields. Like for them to come back to bed. They'll hang out there and mill out there in the, afternoon, or in the morning. They're coming from food, back to bed. What we did August 15th, um, August 18th, you' killed a monster, I mean, heavy-horned eight-pointer um, in a cutover just like that in the morning. Um, but right now, we're going to start getting on some transition lines, um, food's still primary, especially in the afternoons, because they're still kind of comfortable. They're not really getting too much pressure right now. We're trying to stay out and not really them too hard on the food.
3: You mentioned that some of those cut areas kind of function as staging areas in the mornings. Does that mean that you've been doing some morning setups this early in the season?
5: Yes, actually we have. Actually, those have been most of our setups. Um, the farm we hunt, it doesn't have ag, the egg field is not... On the property, it's about um, half a half mile up the road. So the deer are going to the ag field at night. Well, we can't hunt the ag field, so we're catching them coming back. And they're using our our cutover. It's a two-year-old cutover. They cut it last year. And it's got vegetation that's probably neck high in it. And if you get up on the edge of it and get get high enough, you can see down move. And they're using that. I mean, we've had an 96 degree days down here. So we're catching them coming back to bed up on the, on the creek James.
3: Now coming up here at the end of the week, uh, it seems like Hurricane Dorian may be making contact with South Carolina. Do you ever notice in the past that hurricanes affect the deer movement before, or after a hurricane, and, and what does that look like?
5: Dorian is going to be a little farther to our east and more towards the coast. We're actually towards the center of the state, but we've had hurricanes in the past come come through, and We've actually noticed bucks moving more right before the storm. Or two years ago, we killed a really, really big eight pointer the day before hurricane came. And he was up in October moving at uh, five o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, just something you don't see very rare. And it was a buck we only had a couple pictures of. It. Last year, uh, one of our members was in North Carolina, you know, they had that major storm. I forget what the name of it was. They came through last year and he was hunting had, to, had one huge i mean probably 165 inch buck in north carolina um out in the bean fields right in the middle of the afternoon feeding so i feel like they know the storm's coming and it pushes them to feed feed, feed up because they know the next few days are going to be bad
3: going forward then in this next week or so what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of one to ten in south carolina
5: i feel like it's going to pick up and probably be about a seven and a half eight before the storm during the storm it could drop back to a three or four and then right after it should should get back to about normal so about five or six i mean it it could vary throughout the week with the storm coming in all
3: right cameron well thanks for joining me and good luck to you and everyone else from cut four outdoors
5: thank you for having me
3: all right and joining us on the line next is dylan lens out of north dakota from breaking point tv Dylan, on a scale of 1 to 10, what would you say the buck activity has been lately?
6: I would say it's about a 6 right now. Um, We had some warm weather while we were out hunting for the opener this past weekend, and it started off strong with some high pressure. We had some good buck movement, and then it really tailed off as soon as that weather stabilized and uh didn't have much uh daylight activity for bucks that once that uh kind of settled out
3: someone in your group did have success though on was it opening night there in north dakota yep
6: opening night our uh buddy and script or jp as we call him uh took out an awesome uh velvet buck on opening night um with uh quite a bit of daylight left so he was, he was pretty fortunate to be in the right place at the right time out there and uh i believe that was his first velvet whitetail so it was a Pretty awesome night.
3: And what do those setups look like that you guys were using? Was it mostly field edges?
6: Yeah, it's almost all field edges that we're hunting out there uh, in North Dakota. It's a lot of big marshes um, where you can't really get in and uh, get on a good, you know, ac- access point to, you know, set up an ambush. So we kind of got to pick tree rows or small woodlots where we think we can get the deer um, while they're headed to food, you know, leaving the big marshes and kind of in a vulnerable spot.
3: Tell me more about that buck that your buddy killed. How early was that deer out moving? Was he traveling with others?
6: So he was actually coming behind two does. Um, It was kind of a different situation. He had crossed a road, and a car had come past right about when they crossed the road. So it kind of hurried that buck up, um, coming towards the tree line that he was sitting on. And he basically followed the does. Uh, down the trail and straight past the stand, So um, it just worked out perfect. That was, I believe, with another hour, hour and a half of daylight left. So it was really fortunate to have that movement uh, that early.
3: You guys had a really short window there in North Dakota because I know a few of you guys took off and are now haunting muleys. When the window is that tight, are you haunting any mornings early in the season like this?
6: We truly don't hunt mornings in North Dakota. Uh, just because of our stand setups, um, you know, if we went in there, we'd definitely be pushing deer off of food uh, and we aren't hunting bedding areas because like I said, you know, they're bedding out in the marshes and that sort of thing. So if we go in in the morning, we pretty much blow the whole sit, uh, right off the bat. So kind of getting out there, uh, where we think the deer are headed to or in between where
3: they're headed to and they're bedding is, has worked out best for us. And that's always happening in the evening. What was the ratio of velvet bucks to hardhorn bucks there in North Dakota?
6: While we were out there this past weekend, it was almost all still
3: velvet. We had one
6: buck uh, that was full hard horn, had some awesome photos of him actually uh, right before he lost his velvet. And then he must have, you know, went and shredded it right nearby. And that was actually on August 25th. So that was pretty early. Um, but all the other deer that we uh, had on camera or saw while we were in the stand were still holding velvet. So that was pretty cool to have those
3: opportunities. While we were there on those velvet buckets. are you guys worried about water sources at all this time of year? Is that something that you focus on, just like you would these food sources?
6: Out where we hunt in North Dakota, it's so wet anyway, with all the marshes. That for as wet of a year as it's been out there, we haven't noticed a heck of a lot of difference in you know their activity um, pertaining to water. So I don't know, you know, if you're in a drier area, maybe it'd be a little bit different because of how much water is available to them this
3: year. But we just didn't notice that kind of, uh, you know, change. I know you guys are potentially headed back to North Dakota like next week or so. How will your tactics have changed from just a few days ago to about seven days from now?
6: During the early season, we pretty much kind of employ the same tactics and, you know, really just checking the cameras and trying to stay out of areas as much as possible, keeping them fresh, sneaking in during broad daylight, middle of the day, when we know we can get in there, those deer in the marshes, they aren't going to see us. We go in, check the camera, see if they're in that area either, you know, before dark the night before or maybe move through on their way back in, to bed in the morning, and then we just try and pick that spot and play the wind and hope that they're going to make that mistake again or show up there in
3: daylight. Going forward then in the next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of 1 to 10 in North Dakota?
6: I would say it's still going to be that 6 maybe seven area it's really going to depend on the weather i haven't looked at the extended forecast but you know if we get a little bit of a cool front um and some higher pressure i think maybe those bucks
3: will get on their feet a little earlier all right dylan thanks for joining me good luck on the rest of your traveling hunts and, and everyone else from the breaking point tv thanks a lot you guys good luck as well and that concludes this week's episode of wired hunts rut fresh radio thanks to jacob tony Cameron and Dylan for joining me and thank you guys for listening. For more great whitetail content make sure you're checking out TheMeatEater.com and following MeatEater and Wired to Hunt on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also follow me at Spencer Newharth on Instagram to see what I'm up to this fall and I hope that you guys are as excited as I am for season four of Rut Fresh Radio. Until next time, stay wired to hunt.
0: at your local auto parts store, or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn
2: more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.